This is Voices from Israel, a podcast of the Good People Fund, where GPF grantees in Israel describe how they are meeting urgent and evolving needs since October 7, when the country was attacked and war began. For youth across the spectrum of abilities, the war presents particular challenges. Beth Steinberg and Miriam Avraham, both mothers of children with Down syndrome, are the founding directors of Shutaf. Since 2007, Shutaf has developed and practiced informal programming for this community. And in this conversation with GPF Executive Director Naomi Eisenberger, they talk about the war's effect on their work and impact. For more information, see the episode show notes and visit goodpeoplefund.org. Here's Naomi, Beth, and Miriam in conversation. I want to have you share how Shutaf and the Israelis who rely on Shutaf's wonderful services are managing right now as we pass the three-month mark of this war. There is no one, obviously, who is untouched. For children and teens and young adults with disabilities, the impact is, is unique. But before anything else, how are both of you? Well, we, um, we don't have a safe room in our home on the Moshav outside of Jerusalem. So we went to my son, who lives near Eilat, for the first five weeks of the war. There was no way my daughter, who has disabilities, who has Down syndrome, would be able to climb over the wall to get to the neighbor's safe room. We had to uh, kind of evacuate, even though there weren't that many uh, rockets that were flying in this direction towards Jerusalem, but there were the uh, here and there. And then we came back and we're back and we're, uh, my daughter went back to her, Vinny went back to her program in Jerusalem. She lives in an apartment there, comes home on the weekends. And we are trying to keep things as normal as possible for her sake, of course, for everyone's sake. You know, like everyone in the country um, who's not directly affected, we are, you know, trying to keep an even keel and do what we need to do. Working, you know, at Shutaf and thinking about how to help the kids at Shutaf, that, that actually gives me strength, gives me purpose, as it always does. But in a time like this, it centers you and it helps you really think about what what's important. Well, it's interesting. I just was thinking about giving you purpose, but it has not come easy. This has been a hard three months. I'm tired. I definitely feel like I'm tired. I would say that just on a personal level, we as well are, thank God, fine. You know, I've got nephews in the army. We, you know, we, we run the gamut of like any sort of ordinary family where you know people and so forth. Everyone, thank goodness, is all right. And, you know, and Akiva also has adjusted from the beginning where he definitely felt very unsettled. Now, as his life has returned more, not just the program, which was sort of his daily program, which was kind of odd in the beginning. Well, there was no program for a few weeks, but then when the program started back up, it wasn't its normal program. He wasn't with the people that he knew. He wasn't with the staff that he knew. Thankfully, now things have settled down more. Things feel a little more ordinary. And he also has the social programs that he really enjoys, including Shutaf, one other program that he goes to also in Jerusalem. 
And then another favorite activity are his swimming lessons, which were on hold for a long time because um, his swimming teacher was dealing with a lot of family stuff. So, you know, yeah, I mean, all you need to do is unsettle your schedule. We all love routine and everything mm -hmm. feels sort of odd. I think that the one thing that gives me the most happiness these days is picking fruits and vegetables once a week. You know, I've got favorites, like, you know, I like being in the trees, picking avocados was fantastic. You know what I mean? But I don't really care. I get out of Jerusalem for a couple of hours. I feel like I'm really helping. That's been very good. That's like a, you know, it's funny, like what you look for to kind of hold on yeah. to. It's therapeutic. And then you maybe have some hummus on the way home. Most people understand that trauma in Israel right now is is more than significant. For the Shutoff community, which is primarily entirely young children and teens and young adults, people with various physical and, and mental capabilities, how has this appeared? One of the things we think is so critical right now is to just meet in person. When we met a little bit online at the beginning, as we were just all grappling with what to do, and it felt unsafe to gather in like the Shutoff office and where the winter programs are. Remember, our programs during the year are only teens and young adults. So we sort of said to ourselves, well, maybe they would come, maybe their parents would bring them. We were like trying, you know, but we realized right away, okay, at least let's gather online, let's check in with them. Uh, Marcy, the our you know Shutoff's program director, and the rest of the and the well, the rest of the team. So right away, the team shrank, shrunk, well. shrank. Drank, yeah. Be because <laughs> I couldn't get the right word out. Because we have one person who's been milouim almost since like the middle of October. So she's works on the program staff side. She's been in Gaza or she's been down south, like near the border. You know, so she she hopefully will come back to us in February. She wasn't available. Uh, somebody else, her husband was in. She was doing some days of Miloween, but she has an eight-month-old. So essentially she was home taking care of the baby because there was no there was no childcare. Meaning the the ripple effects of all that went on on some level, it was reminiscent of COVID times. Mm -hmm. But in other ways, as you say, from a trauma perspective, it's it's everything. When everything is upended, there's a lot of different ways that things play out and feel disturbing to each other. So we focused on getting in touch with our families and our participants, checking in with people. We delivered little care packages at the very beginning, but we saw that the teens and young adults in particular, they didn't really want to gather online. They wanted to see each other, but it's been very short staffed. It's very complicated. Yeah. It's not so simple for us to do our normal work. We don't have as many participants because we can't quite recruit unless we have more staff. So there's that kind of, there's that effect. Mm -hmm. For sure, we heard from the, I remember back at the very beginning online, participants shared different things. If they had a family member who was in the army, one of our participants goes to an adult program at Ramat Rachel at the kibbutz. And the director of the program was kidnapped. I mean, she was a hostage yeah. with her daughter. So right. that was like, you know, he spoke about that very early on, that he missed her, that it was, you know, where was she? Like, mm -hmm. so, I mean, people shared different kinds of things, but we definitely saw the importance of gathering. The gathering helped people maybe reduce their sense of trauma as to what wasn't right in their world. It's like what Miriam said, you know, meaning unless something direct happens to you, you're just trying to kind of make it through the day 
here on a personal level, like I know Akiba was very Akiba was very uptight but very focused about what he was supposed to do if there was a rocket. He would okay. go into the he'd go stand in the in our little safe room. He'd stand there. He'd review it. Like we, you know, it was interesting to me when he went back to his program. We reviewed it again. We talked about what to do if you were in the cabin and happened. He had a rocket when he was in the program after he went back, and he had another. We had another rocket outside in the park. Like we've had enough experiences yeah. that he's kind of you know. But I've noticed he's well aware we're talking about stuff in a way that he wasn't so sure about. So I really paused to like review things with him. I've talked about the captives with him. I've talked about, like I've used words in English and in Hebrew so that if he hears it, and it's mm -hmm. interesting for all that Akiba doesn't always let you know always what he understands. He kind of cogitates over really a period of time. He listens very carefully when I talk about these things. See, he knows there's stuff happening that is disturbing and unsettling even if he doesn't have language to put it out there. These are the things that are not necessarily in everyone's mind, how different people handle specific situations. Right. So if we think about trauma, we can say there are people who had immediate yeah. traumas, right? Things that went on personally in their families, things they experienced. If right. they lived in a different part, you know, if something, if a rocket really fell near them, there'd be ways that they would feel the trauma very clearly. But for a lot of other people, I think the trauma will be more, you know, like it may take a long time for us to unpack. And in particular for people with disabilities, be it cognitive or other, who really right. need time to sort of think, I need time to think it through. I don't even right. know. Processing is a different, it's a different kind of processing. I know that Vinny is, um, I don't talk to her very much about what's going on. I rarely shield her from most things, but in this case, I really we, we felt that it wasn't a good idea to share really any of the news with her. Like she knows there's a war going on, she knows that there are rockets, but that that's really it because she has a significant anxiety mm -hmm. around feeling safe, around um, you know she has nightmares and she has this kind of a scenario in her head that, that she gets attacked. It didn't seem like the right move to, uh, to even talk about, you know, really what happened or on any level, not even in general. We just kind of don't address it. We didn't buy the newspaper for a number of weeks. We, you know, we just... Um, it's interesting yeah. because even when you think about people with disabilities, people without... And when you think about the lingering traumas, I see it in my kids. I see who talks about it in my other kids, who doesn't talk about it. If the conversation shifts, who has to leave the room? And we're we're cautious to, you know, really respect where everyone mm. to try to help them find some safety. Within the Shutoff committee um, community, other than in your own personal families, is there any family situation that stands out or somewhat unique? Financially, you know, people... I just was going to say that. People have taken, uh, you know, some more than others have taken a hit financially. And, you know, our, our kids are, our participants are often from families, you know, not without strong financial mm -hmm. base. So I'm sure there's more stress at home, you know, about that. That's always kind of... I guess in the background, so to speak. Always. Yeah, no, of course. But the exciting news is that we're going to have an extra day of teen programs. That's the thing. Focusing yeah. in on what where we see them 
do well. And bringing them together is just always that point of, and there's been even, a, there's even a few new participants this year, and it's been interesting to see them come in. It doesn't always mean it's easy, but you see how much they need it. Yeah. So I think that's the ticket, meaning if you're maybe a teen without a disability or a young adult without a disability, maybe you find ways to reach out to others and get some of the extra support you need beyond your family. Mm -hmm. But you know, if you're a teen or young adult with a disability, it's always more complicated. Clearly, the tens of thousands of people who have been displaced from the North and South, how has that or has that impacted the Shutoff community? You know, I kept saying to Beth, Beth, there are all these displaced people. There's got to be a lot of kids. How do we get to them? You know, what can we offer them? And really, it was it was an exercise kind of in frustration because on the one hand, first of all, in the beginning, everyone was kind of just trying to wrap their heads around what was going on. There was no organization. So to reach out to some of the hotels was complicated. We're still in a situation where we're short staff, but we are reaching out and trying to find a way to properly identify. We're focusing on the young adults because that's a place where it's an quote unquote easier pop population to kind of bring in and mix with our with our existing population, the Jerusalem kids. We feel now that we can start that second day and we can also reach out and make that happen to, you know, identify the people who hopefully will be interested in joining our program. And just last night, our group, for the first time, I guess since June, had an outing. You know, normally really? the 21 plus group goes out on outings on a regular basis, which they all really love. And so we, you know, they went to Cinema City. So at least it's a nicer, bigger indoor mall. They had dinner together, or I, I don't know if people did different things or ate at different places, but I know mm -hmm. that Akita ate at Cafe Greg. He was very pleased and came home and reported <laughs> accordingly. But, yeah. you know, people like to go out and eat, meaning, you know, it is, you know, we're trying to balance what feels safe and secure for the staff to manage. Nobody's mm -hmm. that uptight about rockets, but you got to be smart about, yeah. you know, safety and feeling like you're in a secure space or a space that you could find safety if you have to. So um, I'm hoping that, yeah, I mean, what Miriam said, we're really hoping that in the next month, we'll be able to finally reach a few of these uh, young adults and invite them to come. And that would really be great. And it's true. People in the North, they ain't going home anytime soon. What about the younger kids, though? It sounds like your challenge is really identifying and locating. My eldest son, his partner, like, so her family they're all from a kibbutz near Sterot. They're all at the Orient Hotel, you know? They've been okay. there together kind of as a group. So sometimes right. a community comes as a group, but there were so many people who came in. Like, you know, another community that I've thought about, and I meant to tell this to Miriam, is Shlomi from up north. A lot of them are at the Dan Boutique. That's assuming they're still there. You know, people have also maybe at this point maybe yeah. gotten moved to an apartment. How long can you live in a hotel? I think now we can definitely reach, even though it'll still be complicated to reach them, I think, I feel like we can do it better than we, you know, even if there are people spread out in different places. Sometimes you're better off working through the social worker, but maybe there's a representative for the actual community who that's the person who does all the intake. Yeah. I, we're going to have to just sniff around. I was going to say, but we feel good that at least now, a few months in, when I really think about it, it's not such a long amount of time, no. that at least now we've kind of caught our breath and feel a little bit more like we can step into increasing on the day for the teens, finding a way to reach out to the, you know, 21 plus crowd in the city. 
how did the two of you manage to maintain your commitment to the mission of Shuta? It's a significant question. I told Miriam a week in, I think that was only one week in, I said to her, you know, this may be the death knell. We survived COVID, but I don't know if we can survive this. Because I knew that money would flow. I, I apologize. This might sound a little bit like no. harsh, but I knew money fl would flood in and that we as a small nonprofit serving people with disabilities, but we're not wartime. What would we receive of that help, even though our services are not unneeded or even more so they're really needed? Yes. I couldn't even picture fundraising when, as usual, you have that outpouring of like soldiers need food, they need socks, they need underwear, they need, you know, ceramic vests, they need helmets. And you think, where's the army, by the way? But remember, the army was uh, uh, still catching its breath. That's how I felt at the beginning. We had that conversation in the beginning. You told me to, you know. I said to you. <laughs> Don't give up. What did you say? Something said, like that. Something like I, that. I said, don't give up because when the shock of this is diminished somewhat, people with disabilities are going to experience this war in a different way and no less important than giving a soldier a hot meal. I talked about it with somebody who was here on a rabbinic mission. And he said to me, he's, he, we were chatting about this issue and he said, I get it. He said, you know, upwards, how did he put it? Northwards, you know, northwards of a billion dollars has been raised by JFNA. So it takes a lot of effort to give away a billion dollars. Is that being stewarded carefully? Will the Southern communities get the money they need to rebuild? Will the Northern communities get the money to repair and rebuild? For organizations like us, there's a lot of fear and a lot of sense that no one's going to think of us. There is this fear that the small programs, which really carry a significant amount on their backs, will suffer. You've heard me speak about what happens when enormous amounts of money fall into place and how challenging it is to distribute it in ways that are responsible, equitable, and really do what needs to be done. And, and with respect to the generosity of all those people who gave, which absolutely. is not a small thing. Both of you and Shutov have been visionaries in the, in the field of inclusion. And while you may be thinking about succession, the wisdom and the experience that you have is going to be in even greater demand. But it could be from a different perspective. Every one of our grantees and the fields that they represent are living in an extraordinarily difficult time of transition. It is interesting because it makes me think directly of the article that I mentioned to you that I read about, you know, how many more people with disabilities, how many more people will yes. have new disabilities by virtue of what they've experienced in the war whether they were injured and now maybe have a physical disability, whether there's a mental health component that has come in because of what they experienced, trauma they experienced, whatever, violence they experienced. I wonder when you just said, you know, that Miriam and I maybe were uniquely positioned, I think what will be interesting will be, can the country push mm -hmm. itself forward on really thinking about what access means? There's a lot of layers to unpack. 
here. There's but, there yeah, there's there's a lifetime of layers to unpack. Yeah. I wanna thank you both for your time and most of all for the incredible work that you are both doing. And look forward to speaking again soon.